The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. A new thriller entitled The Favourite explores the complex questions of whether we should take crime and punishment into our own hands. Um, the author of The Favourite is Rosemary Hennigan, who's with me now in studio. Rosemary, good morning. Hello, how are you? Now, before we talk about the uh, the plot or as much as we want to reveal uh, of The Favourite, uh, this is your second book. It is, yes. So my first book was out in March 2022. It's called The Truth Will Out and The Favourite is only just out. So it's still in still in bookshops <laughs> if anyone wants to buy it. You, you've um, said your approach to writing this book was very different to yes. the first book. In what way? It was. So I suppose you bring with it all the experience you've had from the first book, kind of engaging with the publishing process and knowing that. And you also write it. Well, for me, I knew I was going to, this one was going to be published in a way that I didn't know with the first book. I think your first book is always a little bit speculative and you're kind of writing it for yourself and, you know, in a dark room, you and you and the laptop. But this one I knew was going to be public. And so I was kind of more focused on the reader and how the reader would engage with it. So it's the whole structure of the book is towards the reader and invites the reader to engage with it and to consider the what the character is doing, you know, to, to offer judgment of, of Jesse and to do that within the confines of the book. So, no, uh, How much do you want to tell us about Jesse? Jesse was a, a student in Trinity College in Dublin. That's right. Uh, as was her sister. And we find her and she's moved to Philadelphia to the University of Pennsylvania. That's right. Um, so how much more do you want to tell us about why she's there? Sure. Well, it's it's a bit of a cat and mouse, I think, between her and a professor who she, she has found out has, has wronged her sister. And so she's going there with this agenda on her mind around holding him to account and questions of what she can do within outside of the legal system, what is fair, what is moral, what is ethic. And so the, the book is all about that. And that's what I mean about inviting the reader to contemplate those questions. It's to say, here's a hypothetical set of facts. How do you as a reader really respond to that and engage with it? And so the reader is definitely brought along with Jessie through that, through, that, through that journey, which evolves as the story goes on and her own thinking about herself and her motives and what she's doing really comes to the fore. Yeah. Now, the, the male of the piece, uh, the professor who uh, had been working in Trinity on some sort of... Uh, a a short, short term, a short term yeah. academic furlough. Uh, then he goes back uh, to the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Um, people will say, well, how does she know about Philadelphia? Because the descriptions are very accurate and apt. Yeah, so I, I did a master's myself. Um, the, the, I did, my master's was in the University of Pennsylvania. In the novel, um, there's a different university, which is called Franklin University, um, but it is set, set in Philadelphia as well. And so I suppose I drew on that experience a lot. It was For me, it was a great experience to have gone to law school in America. It was a dream I kind of always had. And being there was fascinating. And I really wanted to kind of show people what that felt like Um through the novel, I suppose. But the setting was also 2016. That's when I was there. And again, I drew on that because thematically there was a lot of resonance, I felt, with the, the subject matter of the novel and the experience of being at that time You were there when Hillary Clinton might have been. I know, exactly. And I was I arrived in August before the election in November. And so for a number of of weeks and months, all anybody was talking about was that election. And there was an assumption that she would ultimately win out. And nobody that I that I met there in those opening few months was in any way uh, ready for a Trump presidency. And it, it's funny now that, you know, even just seven or eight years later, the unthinkable has now become historical fact. And I suppose being there at that kind of inflection point and moment of change really um, brought up a lot of interesting ideas for me. And so when it came to writing the second novel, The Favourite, I really wanted to draw on that experience because I felt like it was a little bit singular. It was something slightly unique. I mean, there were all these uh, simultaneous things happening. The the rise of Donald Trump and 
Uh, his win unexpected. I mean, I look back on that period and I think James Kobe, Comey escuppered yes. it for Hillary Clinton by, you know, his uh, revelation, which then he had to retract and so yes, on. Emails. And I've interviewed him uh, subsequently. I don't think he takes real responsibility for, for uh, that particular thing. Also, the Me Too movement was uh, yes. at that point... Um, certainly making its voice felt. It was starting for sure. I think there was a huge build-up of frustration and anger and um, there was a moment when people were willing to talk about things which maybe previously people hadn't had either the the impetus or the space really to speak about it. And I suppose what I felt in, in writing this novel afterwards was a lot of that conversation happened online and, you know, online conversations are by their nature very restricted and reactionary. And I think with this amount of, of time that has moved on from then, we have the space to consider some of those issues that are thrown up again, but in a in a broader space like a novel where you know the reader can really engage with the characters, the character of Jessie, for example, in the favourite, and just really consider what do I feel about this? Do I think she's right? Do I think she's wrong? Do I think he's right? Do I think he's wrong? And all of that, which I think is just too big in a way for the internet. And that's where I think novels and books can really come back into their own, really, in this modern age. Uh, She uh, manages to get into his class, which is, uh, you know, the wannabe class for a lot of the grad students. Um, And your description of the grad students, quite interesting. Some of them there because they can buy their way into anything, but they cannot buy their way into Professor Crane's class. Yes, exactly. I mean, that was the other part of being um, in university in America. There really are those discrepancies. There are the scholarship students who are there because they've kind of achieved some kind of academic merit. And then there are people who more or less can buy their way in. Um, obviously, there are some changing changing practices around enrollment now in those sort of universities in America. But for a long time, it was legacy names and big bank accounts that kind of helped you to get in. So I really wanted to kind of critique that as well and to draw that, draw attention the to it. The other observation you make, and I'm sure it's, it's an accurate observation because you were there through that period, that these kids who were heading for their postgraduate degrees all had kind of their careers mapped out in their own heads, what they wanted who they wanted to intern with, that they might end up maybe in the Supreme Court as an intern, all that sort of stuff. Yes. Which I'm not sure that kids in Ireland have the same plan. I agree. I think it's a very different experience, partly because, you know, it's a huge investment in law school, just financially and your time and everything. And so I think if you want to go down that route, and if your parents are maybe of that world as well and are encouraging you down that route, it often starts in America very early, kind of right back when you're in school, you're 17, you're 18, you're looking to your future. They do have it mapped out and they do have, you know, their plan in in place in a way that I, I think for the for the better. In Ireland, we don't have that, you know, partly because of our approach to education in terms of free fees and reducing those fees now at university level as well. And hopefully that continues, in my view. But um, it does make for a very different approach to education. I think we're, we're much more open to it, to where it can go. People don't think about it just purely in terms of a career track. And I think that gives people much uh, broader options and a kind of broader horizons as well. Central to uh, the the plot, I suppose, and the, the debate is what happens in Professor Crane's classes, the, the kind of issues they discuss and that question of the law versus justice, yes. that the law is very comfortable really for the patriarchy, uh, that they don't think in terms of the, the victim. Yeah, I think that's something that I came to to experience and see for myself as, as a lawyer. When I was in practice, I was very much 
in it. And then when you step back a little bit, for example, when I took the time out to do the master's, I was kind of reflecting back on how I felt about what the law is and how it works. And I had a lot of questions about how community feels around that, because even if you're not, you know, in the courtroom every day or you're not immediately affected by a legal issue, we're always living in the law's shadow. Um, that's the framework of our lives as a society and as a community. And so it really matters that broader impact and that broader sort of shadow that the law casts really matters for us as people. And so I mean, I the question to of knowing that someone is guilty, but uh, the state failing to prove and it's always on on the state to prove its case. Yeah, and exactly. Even someone who's blatantly guilty, we won't specify any particular <laughs> people. Um, and we all feel that justice justice has not been served by the verdict that was handed down in court. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, the, the shape of, of a court case doesn't always maybe have justice in mind. Sometimes there are limits around it, which are there for good reasons in terms of protecting the rights of the defendant. But sometimes those can go a bit too far. And in those cases, we have to kind of stop and say, well, is this really a system that's working? And if it isn't working, what other systems can we explore and can we bring to the fore? And I think being brave about that and considering those different options is really important because just because it used to be the way it was doesn't necessarily mean it should always be that way. And in certain types of cases, I think the law really does struggle to, to create a fair and just uh, outcome. Now, you've uh, abandoned the classic uh, corporate law career. I have. <laughs> I have. Uh, yes, for sure. It wasn't really for me. <laughs> and you're now working with uh, an NGO I am, yeah. I'm with Two Housing, uh, which is one of the approved housing bodies. So I'm working in housing policy and uh, and research as well. Um, so trying to build more houses. Yeah. And uh, in the meantime, the the favourite has done very well. I think uh, Dubray Books have it at, at, as their number one, but also it's been released in the United States and elsewhere. It yes, it has. It's in the United States as the favourites and it's in Australia and New Zealand as well. So we're going global <laughs> with it, which has been nice. It's been a great experience. And yeah, there will be there will be other books as well, which is which is fun for me. Just have to find the time to write them now. All right. Well, it's a terrific book. I've been reading it over the weekend. It's called The Favourite. Its author is Rosemary Hennigan. Rosemary, thank you very much thank you. for joining us in studio today. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.